Psalm 49 is our reading as we continue in this series, uh, looking through uh, from Psalms uh, uh, 45, 44, 45 to 49, page 571. And then I'd also encourage you, if you like these sort of things, to turn to the back of the service order where you'll see um, a a sort of sermon outline for the next few moments. You might find that useful to follow. I certainly find it helpful if you're taking notes uh, this evening. Well, as we've got our Bible and our sermon outline in hand, let me pray for us now, just as we've been singing. Father, we've been singing that you'd uh, uh, speak to us. We pray indeed that you would, and we want to, as it were, underline in this prayer those final words. Speak, O Lord till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. May your glory be our most urgent desire, our biggest longing. And so we pray for your glory tonight in our lives, in the lives of this great city, and right across the world. Amen. Now, whoever you are, I want you to pay very careful attention to what I'm about to say. I don't care if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're a great one or a small one. I don't care if you're clever or if you're stupid. It makes no difference at all. I've got a message to tell you. It is very important. I want to tell you the truth. I want to make you wise, and I don't care whether you're educated or not. I don't care whether you're a Christian or not. It makes no difference at all. So make yourself comfortable and listen, for this will make you wise. And that is why I'm speaking, so do not miss a word of it. That is how Psalm 49 begins. It's an an arresting, rather brusque opening. It could have been written by a Yorkshireman who's emigrated to Australia, or or come to that, an Australian who's moved to Yorkshire. Verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all you who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With With the harp I will expound my riddle. Now, do you see there, this psalm is for everyone, verse 1, for all peoples, all nations, everyone who lives in this world, all over the world. It's for the slum dogs of Mumbai who dream of becoming millionaires. And it's for those who already live on Millionaire's Row in the most wealthy and exclusive residential neighbourhoods of Sydney and London and Boston's Gold Coast. It's for everyone, both high and low, verse 2, both rich and poor alike. It's for Bill Gates and the Beckhams and Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, just as it's as as much for the the homeless guy who approaches you at Sheffield Station begging for food or the woman who queues up for her benefits every week. It's for rich and poor and everyone in between. It's for you and me. And as we read on, it becomes very clear why this is for everyone. For it deals with one of the few issues that everyone has to face. For this psalm, a a proverb set to music, verse 4, this psalm has one dominant theme, money in the light of death. Money in the light of death, that's the theme of this song, and you can see that from the chorus. You see all good songs have a chorus, this one has a chorus too. Uh, You'll see verse 12, the chorus comes. But man, despite his riches, does not endure, he's like the beasts that perish. It comes again in verse 20. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. That's the phrase that we're supposed to keep humming, even when we're not singing the tune. It's supposed to go over and over in our mind. That's the chorus. Death reduces us to nothing more than a brute beast. There is a merciless clarity in this psalm. 
in death we are no different to the animals. That's why the psalm began the way that it did. This is why we must listen. Because we all die and in death it doesn't matter that we have a greater intelligence than a chimpanzee or that we've made more scientific advances than a dolphin. It makes no difference that we are more relational than elephants. In death, we intelligent human beings are no different to a dead skunk. Because when we're dead, we're dead. Just like the animals. And in death, it doesn't matter how much money we have. That is the big point of this psalm. Look again at the chorus, verse 12. Man, despite his riches does not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. Verse 20, a man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. And so through this psalm, the psalmist asks, do you have a philosophy of life that deals with death? And do you have an attitude to money that is consistent with the reality of death? Now, the psalmist wants to make us wise. That's what he says in verse 3. And wisdom comes when we look at death fairly and squarely in the face. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 4 that I put on the, uh, the handout here says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, the fool goes to the party where there's fun, where there's pleasure, where there's enjoyment, but there's no wisdom there. You never grow wise at a party. No, no, to learn wisdom you have to go to the morgue, the house of mourning, the chapel of rest. At the morgue there's no fun, there's no laughter, there's no noise, there's no life, but there is wisdom. Because you cannot come face to face with death without growing a little wiser. And that is what this psalm will do for us on this vision setting Sunday. It should make us wiser. The psalm has two sections, verses 5 to 12, I've called money can't save you, and verses 13 to 20, God can redeem your life. Firstly then, money can't save you. This section says it is utter folly to have a misplaced trust in wealth. The setting for the psalm is there in verse 5. The psalmist said, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? It seems the psalmist is up against some very powerful enemies, and what makes them powerful is their money, for money is power. Wealth is a way of getting things done. If you have enough money, you can go to a restaurant and somebody else sets the table for you. Somebody else cooks for you. Somebody else serves your food to you. And best of all, Somebody else does the washes, uh, the, the dishes for you. Why? Because you have money. Money is power and it enables you to get things done. And so, verse 5, we fear powerful people. But this psalm says, don't fear the wealthy because of their power. Don't think wealth is what matters. Why, well, it's a, a, a very relevant message for us. It's the message we're hearing all the time. Work hard at school so you can get a good job. Go to university so that you can get on in life. Climb the career ladder. Be successful so that you can have all the trappings of life. Invest in a big pension so that you can enjoy your retirement. That's the message we hear right through our lives. And behind it all is wealth creation. That's the message we're hearing all the time. And it's so hard to go against the flow. But this psalm says, don't let yourself be intimidated by that. Verse 5, why should I fear, verse 6, those who trust in their wealth? Because the bare facts are these. 
Those who trust in their wealth, those who boast of great riches, face one huge problem that money cannot solve. Verse 7, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Money cannot save you. Now, a few weeks ago, I told the morning congregation that I had a moment of huge clarity on this a couple of months back. It was uh, at 8.45 a.m. on Sunday the 17th of July. Now, put baldly like that, it sounds rather pompous and arrogant, doesn't it? I need to explain. At 8.45 on Sunday the 17th of July, I was sitting with my mum just moments after she'd taken her very last breath. And as I looked at her body, motionless and lifeless, I realised there was nothing that could bring her back. She was gone forever. Ironically, it was the weekend when the Euro Millions rollover jackpot was the largest it has ever been. £162 million. Do you remember? And as I sat there next to my mum thinking many thoughts, just after she died, I realised that even if I'd won the lottery, which would have been a miracle as I don't do it, even if I'd won the lottery, even if I had £162 million, even if I'd become one of the richest people in this nation, it wouldn't have changed a single thing as I sat there next to my mum's body. All the money in the world would not have brought her back. All the money in the world could not have brought her eternal life. That's verses 7 to 9. And anyone who's been there will know the agony of a moment like that and the agony of the months that follow. There are times when you'd do anything to have them back. And my brother became a dad one month after my mum died. His wife gave birth to their first child, a beautiful little girl, Jemima. My brother said to me just uh, three weeks back um, how, how much it hurt when he brought his little baby girl home from hospital and realised he would never be able to show her to mum. Death is agony. There are times when you just, just want to pick up the telephone to say hello and you can't. There are times when you just want to ask them their advice but you can't. At times when it dawns on you that, that there's the one who's always been there for you isn't there anymore. And you feel so alone. It is agony and you do anything to bring them back. And if money could bring them back, you'd pay whatever it costs. But you can't because all the money in the world cannot pay the ransom price for a life. That's verses 7 to 9. That's the reality of death. But we don't want to face up to it. We don't want to talk about death and we hide behind the thought that money will save us. We trust in the mighty dollar or in sterling to rescue us. That's why the world is in such utter turmoil as we face this double-dip recession, as Greece threatens to default on its debt, as Italy's credit rating is reduced, as the Eurozone struggles to know how to keep the whole thing afloat, as the Bank of England injects £75 billion into the economy through quantitative easing. We put our trust in money. So the independence headline from last week, the world prays for an economic miracle. We look to money to save us. And it's always been the same. The generation before us told to have a little nest egg to put aside a little bit of money for a rainy day. Because money is power. It gets things done. Because money rescues us. It buys us out of any trouble. 
But the economic crisis should have told us the folly of that way of thinking. Not that we need a recession to tell us that. The psalmist says, and he's been saying for thousands of years, never mind the economics, death should tell us the absolute folly of that way of thinking. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, verse 7, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. No man, no man. David Beckham with his £135 million fortune cannot give God a ransom for his life or the life of anyone else. No man, Bill Gates with his personal wealth of $56 billion cannot give God a ransom for his life. No one, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, worth £500 million, cannot give God a ransom for her life. No man, Steve Jobs, the brilliant founder of Apple who died on Wednesday, no man can pay a ransom for his life. It is in the light of death that we see how ultimately powerless money really is. 4 verse 10. All can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. We all have to leave our wealth behind us. We can't take it with us. There are no pockets in a shroud. Indeed, we can work all our lives to leave a huge legacy to our children and it can be squandered in a moment. They can go and blow it in a moment. And no matter how much money we amass in this life, we all end up in a coffin. Verse 11, their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Now there's a tomb in Florence with a skeleton on top and the inscription reads, once I was like you, And one day you will be like me. Skeletons in a box. That's our destiny. Even if, end of verse 11, we've had had lands named after us. So in 1773, the British navigator, Captain James Cook, discovered a group of islands in the South Pacific Ocean. Islands that today are many people's idea of paradise. And in the 1820s, in honour of Cook, they were given the name Cook Islands. Captain James Cook had lands named after him, end of verse 11. But since 1779, he's laid in a coffin. That has been his house for the past 230 years. Uh, some of you may know uh, Leo's, uh, Leo uh, Tolstoy's uh, fa- uh, short story, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Uh, I, I recommend it to you. I've printed it off from the, uh, uh, from the internet. I recommend it to you because it's only nine pages long and then you can say you've read Tolstoy. Um, it, <laughs> in this uh, short story, how much, does a man, uh, how much land does a man need? Tolstoy writes about a man who's involved in a, a land grant system. And what is involved is that he's given as much land as he can encircle in a day between sun up and sun down. And so he, he runs around as much land as he can get, staking out this huge patch for himself and for his family. Uh, you know, not acres, but, but miles of land. And in the process of running around and staking out the land, this huge patch of land, right at the end of the day, as the sun is coming down, right at the end of the day, he has a heart attack and he dies. And Tolstoy ends the story by asking the question, how much land does a man need? And the answer, six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. Six foot by two, actually, that's all all the land a man needs. That's verse 11. You can have lands named after you. 
but all you need is a plot for a coffin, six by two. That's Tolstoy, that's the psalmist, but of course I should add add this, just to comfort us a little, that was before the days of crematoriums. Um, Here is a, a, a document transferring into my name the exclusive rights for burial plot EE170 in Letchworth's Ignald Cemetery, uh, Ignald Way Cemetery, uh, where the ashes of both my parents have been interred. This document say that I own a plot of land and it is two foot square. That's it. Not even six foot by two, just two foot square. How much land does a man need? Since cremation, two foot by two. And you don't even need that much land if you choose to have your ashes scattered. Then all we need is six inches by three. That's the size of a little brass plaque on a park bench somewhere. All the famous philosophers have understood this. They've taught that death makes life meaningless. All you end up with is a little plaque six inches by three. And if you're going to write all your achievements on it, you're going to have to write very small because they won't all fit in. So take my esteemed and learned colleague, the Reverend Dr. Ben Cooper. M.A. Cantab, M.A. Oxen, B.A., M.Phil, B.Phil, B.A. Oms, Ph.D. Master of Arts twice, Master of Philosophy, Doctor of Philosophy, Bachelor of Arts, Doctor of Theology. They won't be able to put it all on his little plaque. It won't fit on. He might as well have got five O-levels like me, which is very funny. Now, do you see, it doesn't matter how much we've achieved and it doesn't matter how much money we have, we're all going to end up in the grave. Money cannot save me. That's the chorus, verse 12. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. Money can't save you. Secondly, God can redeem your life. Verses 13 to 20. You see, the good news of this psalm is that God defeats death. Uh, As a title, uh, God can redeem your life. As a title, that sounds wonderfully optimistic. But this section doesn't begin any more optimistically than the last one ended. Uh, We don't get to the confident hope straight away. The psalmist won't let us off the hook too quickly. He knows what we're like. He knows how quickly we we, we sweep the devastating pain of death under the carpet. So mercilessly, he rams it home. Verse 12, but man, despite his riches, does not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. Have you got it? Do you see what he says here? Money won't save you. You are going to die. You'll be eaten by worms. You can't take it with you. You're just like the animals. You will become a skeleton. You only need a plot of land six by two. Death will come to you and money can't save you. Have you got it? You might call it depressing, but I'd rather call it a healthy dose of realism. No matter how rich we are, we are all going to, God, going to die. But God, verse 15... It is one of the majestic buts in the Bible. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Derek Kidner describes this verse as one of the mountaintops of Old Testament hope. Here is the death-defying glory of the gospel. If I trust God, the grave is not a done deal. The coffin is not an exitless box. And these words are so personal and so tender. Verse 15, God will take me 
to himself. Isn't that lovely? This takes us right to the heart of the Christian gospel, the confident assurance of life beyond the grave. But but how? How can man's life be redeemed from the grave? 4 verse 7, no man, no man can do it. No man can pay, not even Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. No, no man can pay, but God can pay. God can pay enough to redeem the life of another, and God did pay enough. God paid a price of infinite worth. He pays with the life of his own dear son. The price of ransoming you and I and everyone in this world is the life in death and blood of the eternal Son of God. Here's why the psalm is for everyone, verse 1, because everyone needs to hear this. Don't trust in money, trust in God. Money can't save you from death, God can. A ransom price has been paid, as Jesus said, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death is the ransom price paid, so that the the Christian, verse 9, can live on forever and not see decay. There's no other way, no other price that can be paid. For Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, the soul who sins will die. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wage of sin is death. See, human sin leads to death, and so because all sin, all die. And you can't ransom your own life or the life of another. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, through Jesus' blood, we have the redemption of our sins. His blood pays. His life given in death and blood is enough to give me life forever. And that is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it a relief? And because that glorious gospel is relevant to every man and woman on this planet, whether they are the slum dogs of Mumbai or those who live a life of luxury on Millionaire's Row, whether they have the wealth of Bill Gates or as poor as the homeless guy at Sheffield Station, whether they're uh, rich or poor or somewhere in between, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone because everyone dies. And no man can redeem their own life or the life of another. And that is why we've set a vision to see the gospel taken all over this great city of Sheffield and beyond. Because all over Sheffield every day, men and women are dying. Come with me to the crematorium next time I take a funeral. When we arrive, I'll show you the list outside the door to the crematorium and you'll see the names The names that are listed are different names every day, but there's a list there every day. 9.30, Alfred Hitchens. 10 o'clock, Jean Black. 11 o'clock, Fred Grant. 12.30, James Bullock. uh, 2 o'clock, Sheila Piper. 3.30, Mary Braithwaite. Ah, And that's quite a, a, a lean day. Some days it's so busy that as one funeral ends and the mourners leave by the back door, the next one begins and the bereaved walk in through the front doors. To you and me, they're just names on a list or, or just names on a brass plaque on a park bench, six by three. But to those who attend the funerals, they are their loved ones, mums and dads and brothers and sisters and best friends that have gone forever. 
And those who are left feel the agony of their going when they can't share the joy of the birth of their children with them, when they can't call them to have a chat or ask their advice. People are dying every day in this city and it's agony. And what is so desperate is throughout their lives they've been seduced by the world that tells them that money can save them, that money can dig them out of any hole. So they trusted money to give them what they want. They strive for money to buy them happiness, but they refuse to think about death. They refuse to do the maths. They refuse to consider that money can't dig anyone out of the hole six foot by two. Some even amassed a small fortune to pass on to their loved ones, but it won't redeem them from the grave. But we have a gospel to proclaim. Good news, the the, the good news of the death of the Son of God, whose blood can redeem our lives from the grave. So, verse 16, don't be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. See, the psalmist says, don't be fooled by the message we hear throughout our lives that with money the world's your oyster. Don't be seduced by the lie that money can give you happiness and quality of life and security, which is something I think we're all looking for when we're looking for money. Verse 16, don't be overawed when a man grows rich. Remember, verse 19, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life again. And remember the glorious gospel that tells you, verse 15, God will redeem my life from the grave. And what a difference that makes. Having experienced the death of both my parents in the last 15 months, I can tell you the gospel makes all the difference in the world. Knowing that both mum and dad were committed Christian people, trusting in the death of Christ for their redemption has made such a difference in this last year. Yes, I miss them. I miss them terribly. But to know they're with the Lord, which is better by far, to know that they are now more alive than they have ever been, is wonderful and beyond words. And that is why we want everyone to hear the gospel. Because everyone needs to hear the gospel. Because everyone will die and money can't save them. The psalmist makes it very clear, crystal clear. He makes it too clear for some. Verse 7, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. Verse 10, all men will leave their wealth to others. Verse 12, man despite his riches does not endure. There will come a day when, verse 14, our forms will decay in the grave far from our princely mansions. Verse 17, you can't take it with you. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, who died on Wednesday, age 56, said this. Being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night saying we've done something wonderful, that's what matters to me. We can't take it with us. But we can do something wonderful with our money now. You see, there is a way of depositing our wealth in heaven's bank by investing in gospel ministry by giving to the the work of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to see it proclaimed far and wide. No, we can't pay the ransom price to redeem another, but we can give money so that people will hear of the one who did pay a ransom price to redeem others. 
That's what Vision 2012 is about. Investing in Heaven's Bank by investing in gospel ministry. A couple of months ago, I met with a local minister and he said to me, when it comes to giving, I say to people, what do you want to leave as a legacy? What is it, a home, money in the bank, or people coming to the Lord? Great question. What do you want to leave as a legacy? You can't take it with you. But you can invest it in something that will last forever. And that's what we want everyone who considers themselves a member of this church to do. Pray about what you can give, how you can increase your giving, so that we can see this wonderful gospel of Christ proclaimed to this great city and all over the world. But as I close and before we sing our final hymn, a word for those who are not yet sure of life beyond the grave. For those here tonight who've realised tonight the stark reality of death. I was struck by the words of Steve Jobs at a graduation ceremony at Stanford University in 2005. He said this, Remembering we'll all be dead soon is one of the best tools I know to enable me to make the right choices in life. Well, let this psalm help you make not just the right choice, but the best choice that you've ever made in your life. You may have been attending church for years, you may have come here for the first time tonight, but this evening, this evening has, has made sense, it's given you a clarity about life that you've never had before. You've felt the truth of this as I've been speaking, as if it's been just for you. Well, look, in his kindness towards you, the Lord has been telling you to turn to him, to trust him, to trust him rather than money or yourself or anything, to trust him, to trust him with your life. And so I'm going to pray a prayer for you right now, a prayer that you can pray for you to turn to Jesus tonight. I'll tell you how the prayer will go and then you can decide whether you want to pray along. I'll pray this prayer. It'll go like this. Almighty God, I've trusted other things to rescue me. I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve death. Thank you that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for me. Tonight I want to trust him alone to redeem my life from the grave. And so I throw myself on your mercy now. Thank you that you accept me and will take me to yourself when I die through the death of your dear son. Amen. That's what I'm going to pray now. So let's all pray. And if that's a prayer you want to pray, I'll pray it slowly enough so that you can echo it in your own heart. God will hear you. He reads our hearts and minds. And so if you want to pray this prayer along, just pray it along in your own heart, line by line. So let's pray together now. Almighty God, I've trusted other things to rescue me. I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve death. Thank you that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for me. Tonight I want to trust him alone to redeem my life from the grave. And so I throw myself on your mercy now. Thank you that you accept me and that you will take me to yourself when I die through the death of your dear son.
Amen.